Hello, children. I'm Sir Nigel Longstock, known to you as your Unky Nigel, except in Tennessee where I am legally enjoined from using that term. I need to talk about a subject that's just for grown-ups, so I'm going to have to ask the millions of children who listen to this podcast to leave the room. Are you gone? Okay. My fellow adults, I know you're busy, what with paying income taxes and reading hardback books, but I need just a moment of your time to talk about an issue that affects us all. The modern economy has left Americans bereft of rich tobacco flavor and stylish t-shirts. That's why I'm proud to sponsor a new line of shirts by Cowboy Astronauts, the cigarette that is definitely not for kids. Designed by Johnny Ashcroft and Landon Armstrong, the new Cowboy Astronauts t-shirt is perfect for parent-teacher conferences, second weddings, or your annual checkup. It's not easy to sell a graphic tee on the radio, but I assure you, they are dope. You can see Ashcroft and Armstrong's stunning design on the CME website at www.comainevent.com. And starting next week, you can buy them. My God, it's like a dream come true as a shirt. I'm Sir Nigel Longstock, reminding you to enjoy the grown-up flavor of cowboy astronaut cigarettes, unless you're a kid, in which case you should never have heard any of this. Good day. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, uh, cat's out of the bag, man. Co-Main Event Podcast is about to launch a brand new t-shirt over there at Cotton Bureau. We hope starting next Monday. I'm pretty excited about this. We're going to be featuring Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes, which longtime listeners will know uh, is a, a, a noted sponsor, a sponsor in good standing of Master Tweet Theater. Kind of the preferred sponsor of Sir Nigel Longstock, that's I would right. say. Uh, it's a cigarette brand that's definitely not for kids. See, I was going to ask about that. I was confused. I was like, is it for kids? And then I feel like actually that's the one thing they want to make clear to you. It's definitely not. Only an adult could handle those. Uh, We had Oregon designer, Portland area designer, Johnny Ashcroft, who who listeners to the podcast will know as the guy who made the Dundasso shirts. Wow. Okay. Those were very popular. And let me say. It's too bad. Those are gone forever, though. The cowboy astronaut cigarettes shirt. I think he upped his game. Yeah. The design is pretty dope for it's the Cowboy dope. Astronauts. Cigarettes. Working with uh, artist Landon Armstrong on that. So those are going to go on sale over at Cotton Barrel next week. Uh, they're awesome. I got to be honest. When yeah. he sent us the designs, we were falling out. And like the best MMA shirts, has a high capacity for confusing the hell out of grocery store cashiers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like they're just going to be looking at it and looking at you. And you know they're going to want to ask, but they're not going to be sure if they want to hear the answer. So run out and buy those. Uh, As everybody knows, the Undertaker graphic novel came out this past week that I wrote in conjunction with Boom Studios Comic Book Company and uh, WWE. They sent me some copies, some some promotional copies of that thing. So we're going to be giving those away, Ben. We are? Yeah, I got about a half dozen of them. How are you going to give them away? I was thinking we would do some Undertaker trivia in this week's Breakfast of Champions. That's not a bad idea. And then, uh, you know, we'll take the, the first six correct answers or whatever and we'll send those out. 
That sounds like a great idea for you to do. So I'm, make, all, I'm all for that. Well, I'm not expecting you to I'm brainstorm you, any you, Undertaker you're doing trivia. That. I know you're all caught up with Channing Tatum over there, so I don't want to have to uh, pull you in two different directions you, at the same time. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that, so I don't have to. You know what we're at right now with the Patreon? Uh, well, you, there was some drama this week because we dipped down under 800. We dipped to 799 for like 15 minutes. And then we went back up over 800. That's right. So now we're at like 811? 812. Nice. Good guess, though. There we are. A lot of people got down with the Patreon Power Hour last week. First ever. That's right. Patreon Power Hour. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. We mixed it up, had a different type of discussion, some different segments on the Patreon Power Hour. Good reception. Yeah, we got good reviews. The people seem to like it. We're going to keep doing that. You know, the thing about the Power Hour. What? Anything can happen. Anything. Absolutely anything can happen on the Power Hour. Uh, We're doing that again this week, right? We are. Maybe going to drop it on Thursday, though, just because... uh, No school on Friday. Yeah, school school, schedules. School schedules are really fucking with us. Which is a thing that is going to happen moving forward on and on into eternity until we finally decide to send our kids to those military schools we've been talking about. I heard Sir Nigel was going to start one. Yeah, Sir Nigel Longstock's private boarding school. Uh, What are we doing here? Uh, Oh, you know what we need to do? We need to start rolling out... Number one, tips for the well-rounded fight fan for That's $10 right. Patreon. I got a lot of tips. I'm uh, going to start emailing that out. We also promised, do you remember this? For $10 patrons, they can send in a topic and you and I will debate it yes. for a couple of minutes and email it back to them. That's right. So we got to start getting on that because that's going to take some man hours. Yeah. Well, and I look forward to the range of topics people ask for. Uh, since we're still at 812 not yet to the 900 that will trigger the Affliction Day of Reckoning drinking challenge. Also not yet to the 900 that will stop me from reading you a personal quote from Channing Tatum. <coughs> oh, just choking on my coffee yeah, over here. You weren't, you weren't prepared. <laughs> yeah. You ready for this week's no. personal quote from Channing Tatum? Obviously, I am not prepared. Okay, we'll take a breath. Yeah, you, do, you read it, and I'll go over here and try to get myself together. Quote, it's really hard for men to tell other men, I love you, without putting a man at the end of it. Like, I love you, man. <coughs> oh, boy. Yeah. You just can't look at another man and say, I love you. Oh, you just looked right in my eyes for the people <laughs> on the live stream. Well, that's incredible, man. That's, that really hit me right, right in my heart box. Yeah. We got music this week from our friend Dion Rodriguez, a producer out of Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, as you all know by now, that's the word beats with a Z. Beats. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, fuck is your problem, Floyd Mayweather? Why can't you just leave us alone, man? And in round number two, Daniel Cormier, Daniel Cormier, his way to victory against Derek Lewis. Now he has his sights set on the most hallowed triple crown in sports history. UFC light heavyweight title, heavyweight title, and WWE Universal Championship. And in round number three, this weekend, it's Zombie versus Panther in yet another fight that sounds like a show Spike TV would have put on as the lead into Mansers in about 2009. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me? Just saying stuff. And of course, a little bit of Master Tweet Theater. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Tracy Dickinson, who has really been on a roll she with has. her listener mails. Yeah, I appreciate she's, it. Uh, she's just knocking singles, right? Occasional occasional double. Getting one through the gap there. Yeah. Legging it out. She writes, I'm guessing you'll be spending some time discussing the slobber knocker of a fight between Weidman and Souza, so I'll focus on the atrocity that happened at the end. 
It was very clear that Weidman was done as soon as he went down, and that Jacare realized this and didn't want to throw any unnecessary punches. Sadly, Dan Mergliata didn't come to the same realization. I can only imagine what a challenging job refs have to make sure fighters are safe in the spur of the moment uh, without stopping things too soon and getting criticized for ruining a fight. However, in a case like this, should there be any repercussions to the refs to help ensure it doesn't happen again for the fighter's safety? Something like giving up a percentage of their pay, like when a fighter doesn't make weight, or not being allowed to ref again for X amount of time. Is something like this already in place that I'm not aware of, or do you feel that it could cause the refs to be too quick to stop fights in cases where it may not be necessary? Now, Ben, I do I do want to talk about the, the end of this fight, the co-main event over at UFC 230 this past Saturday night. But we should spend some time talking about the actual fight. Yeah, hell of a fight. Ronaldo, Jacare, Souza, and Chris Weidman had themselves a crackerjack uh, for about two and a half rounds. Yeah, and a fight where by the end of the first round, you're looking at Weidman and thinking, okay, he got this. Yeah, you're it's, looking at Weidman thinking, maybe he's back. Yeah, he, looked, he looks good. He looks great, uh, especially in that first round. But, you know, Jacare's nose is smashed. Blood is gushing out of that thing. He's looking a little bit lost at, by the end of that first round. And you think, okay, Chris Weidman finally going to get that victory in New York City after what happened to him against Yoel Romero or it looked like he was on his way to winning it. This time, he's got it. And in the corner even, you know, Ray Longo and Matt Sarah being their usual awesome selves in the corner. And they're like, hey, just fucking keep it up. Right. Same thing. Drop Go out there and do the same thing. Crazy F-bombs every which way. I love it. Now, I have a feeling that if Chris Weidman and I had to spend any time in a room together, we wouldn't have a lot to discuss. You know, Weidman doesn't necessarily seem like uh, like the kind of guy you would want to have a beer with, uh, as they so often say. But you got to feel bad for the guy here oh, yeah. in this situation, right? He comes back from a long layoff. This is first fight, fight, first fight since July of 2017 when he defeated Kelvin Gastelum. Frankly, in another uh, pretty good performance where we're like, okay, Chris Weidman maybe starting to right the ship here after three straight losses. Comes into this one, gets a late opponent change uh, from Luke Rockhold to Jacare Souza, which I didn't think a lot about at the time until I was actually watching, watching this fight. And then I was thinking, you know, a late replacement switching to Jacare Souza is kind of a big deal because Jacare Souza obviously ain't no joke. Uh, he's got the kind of submission skills that might as well double as like a Mark Hunt knockout punch where he can go out there and stop anybody with those skills. As this fight played out, it was almost entirely on the feet. Uh, but man, Chris Weidman just looking good for most of this fight. It seemed like he was probably going to win the decision had it gone, you know, another two and a half minutes. And Jacare Souza just strokes him with one right on the temple, knocks him clean out. You think he was going to win this? I mean, I didn't, I didn't look at the scorecards of what. I had. didn't either, but I thought he had won the first two rounds. Really? I, mean, there was that I, moment. Thought, he, I thought he might have lost the second round. The second was close because there was that moment where Jacare Souza seems to be like, fuck it. I got to make this a brawl. And he did. And he did a, a really great job of changing what kind of fight it was and dictating the pace and the pressure of the fight in yeah. the second and third rounds, which, you know, Weidman's in total control in the first, and then Jacare just kind of gets in his face, makes it messy, gets it, makes it a, a close quarters fight, and kind of takes that quick left jab that had been hurting him in the first round out of the equation at that point. And he was doing a, a good job even before he finally uh, dropped Weidman of catching him with that right hand at the end of the exchanges. Yeah. And you know, that ends up being the thing that he drops him with. You can see how the way Weidman goes down at first, Big Dan comes rushing in, but then he seems to kind of hold up because 
maybe you don't want to be the ref that just sees a guy getting dropped and assumes the fight must be over. But you could see in Wyman's face, especially as he he lays there trying to get his his bearings, that he's just not there yet. And Jacare is standing over him and could have unloaded on him at that point. Instead, he has time to turn and look at Dan Mirigliata and say something to the effect of, you see in this? And then Mirigliata has kind of like halted himself. And at that point, he can't, I, I think he probably feels like he can't jump in because then it seems like you got talked into it right. by a fighter. And right. so instead he has to like, okay, hey, keep going. And Jacare, you know, he hits Weidman a couple more times, but not as hard as he could have. And he was able to really take his time about even doing that uh, while Weidman is trying to grab for his ankle. And then when he's finally stopped and it's out of there, he's grabbing for Big Dan's ankle. You know, stoppage was definitely... Yeah. Warranted by that point. As far as like how to use some sort of penalty system so it doesn't happen, I think the the public discourse is the penalty. Yeah. I don't think you want to start taking money away from refs because anytime you start messing around with money, it's a weird situation because it's where does the money go? Does the athletic commission keep it? Now the athletic commission has a reason to want to find fault. Plus, it's not like refs are making a whole lot of money to begin with. Right. That's what I was going to say. I don't think refs make all that much money. No. Like maybe a couple of hundred, like a few hundred dollars or a thousand dollars per event or something like that. If you come in to like ref a big time UFC fight. So I would hate to see those guys get start to get financially uh, penalized for stuff like this. And like this one, like I feel like it looked bad on TV, but I don't actually know that it was all that egregious. It's not like Big Dan let Jacare Souza tee off on Chris Weidman for like 30 seconds. Right? right, but one of the reasons why it wasn't that egregious in practice is because Jacques Array pulled right. up. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, I was just wondering, like, the angles that we got to see it on television looked bad, especially when they went to the replay and got that, like, kind of overhead shot because you can really see Weidman's head snap back when he hits the canvas in a way that, like, uh, seems to indicate that he is out. Yeah. Uh, but then his body, you know, it's always amazing to me when you, the the brain may be disconnected, but the body is still doing what it was trained to do. Like what Weidman rolls up on his side and like tries to grab a hold of a leg of Jacare Souza. So if you're if you're Dan Mergliata, and like I don't know exactly where he was when when Weidman went down. If you were in a position where like you didn't notice how lifeless he looked when he first hit the ground. You might be circling around and see Weidman rolling up to try to grab Jacare's leg. And that might be enough to give you pause to be like, I don't know if I want to step in and stop this thing. Clearly like Jacare lands one or two extra shots and it was clear that Weidman was done, but I don't know. This wasn't like a, a, a Steve Mazzagatti situation where, where no, no. It, you it, wonder if there's a personal vendetta, like a guy <laughs> asked you to hold his coat at a party or something, and so you're going to let him take some extra damage. Or like that Herb Dean one with C.B. Dalloway uh, a few weeks back, where it just went on and on and on and on, and he was clearly done, and you were wondering, like, what are we waiting for here? This one all happened pretty quickly. So I can understand how you know you might make a, a mistake there, and it comes off looking worse than it, it felt at the time. Um, but yeah, that's... Part of that is just going to be in the nature of this sport because guys get dropped and there's that moment right where they're dropped where at first you need a second to be able to look at him, kind of look in his eyes, see what he does next before you can tell was that the knockout blow or was that him just getting knocked off his feet? Yeah. And so I understand that that probably is going to happen as we try to figure out that distinction Fortunately, Jacques Ray was a gentleman about this one. Yeah, shout out to true sportsman, Hinaldo Souza. 
Also, Jacques Array, going to be 39, I believe, next month. Yeah. He goes out there and pulls out a performance like that where he had to dig down and really find a way to win this fight. Knocks out on the feet former UFC middleweight champ Chris Weidman. If you were thinking Jacques Array might be done, yeah. think again. Yeah. All right, next question this week comes to us from Demon Garrett, who writes, Guys, is Izzy Adesanya just going to pull down his imaginary pants and whiz all over the whole middleweight division? That was some impressive shit against Derek Brunson. Discourse. Uh, yeah, it yeah. frankly was some impressive shit. Uh, primarily, I think, because of the takedown defense. Because Derek Brunson, despite all the talk, was not about to willingly mess around with Israel Adesanya on the feet during this fight. That was very clear. Uh, and it was kind of Adesanya's takedown defense that allowed him to keep this thing upright, escape who knows how many takedown attempts from Derek Brunson. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but uh, keeps it obviously in his realm and ends up getting the uh, the knockout win, first round knockout win, uh, nine seconds before the break, which uh, that's definitely Israel Adesanya's highest profile UFC win to date. It gives him uh, four in a row in the UFC. He's 15-0 overall, which is starting to seem pretty impressive. Four wins, all of them in 2018, we should point out. Uh, is he fighter of the year? Well, I mean, I think that there's an, uh, uh, an absolutely valid and interesting discussion to be had about that because I think your two candidates right now are probably Israel Adesanya or Daniel Cormier. Yeah. Because he's had all he's had three fights this year, so I don't know. Maybe that's something that could come up uh, this week on the on the Patreon Power Hour. Who knows? Maybe we could get into that a little bit. Who knows what'll happen? Well, I mean, Israel Adesanya went out there and painted a damn masterpiece with this one, as far as I'm concerned. Because, like you said, not only does he stop the takedowns, and the takedowns get increasingly frantic and desperate from Derek Brunson when he's not getting them. When he's when you know, especially some of them, he's getting in there. He's getting in position where he ought to be able to, to take Israel Adesanya down. He's just not doing it. And this, to me, was one of those fights where I felt like, all right, now I'm getting to a deeper understanding of what Israel Adesanya can do. Because the two things I think we wondered about with him are, is his you know, defensive wrestling good enough to keep fights where he wants to keep them? And is he going to be big enough for that middleweight division? And Derek Brunson, pretty good-sized dude at middleweight, strong dude. And a guy with enough well-rounded skills that if you have a glaring weakness in some area, he can probably find it. He goes out there, he gets where he wants to get at a couple places, can't really get Israel Adesanya down and, and control him. And then as soon as that happens and he gets where he's just kind of lunging for takedowns, he's, you know, Israel Adesanya is looking at him and, and seeing dinner. Yeah. You know, he, he lands that knee while he's on the way kind of diving in for that, that leg. And from then on, it's just like he's trying to to craft the perfect visual knockout. Yeah. What do we think about Israel Adesanya, the the human being? Not necessarily the human being, but like the uh, the character, the the personality. I guess you would say because some guys maybe you grab their shorts a couple times early in the fight, and they're probably going to be like, "Fair play to you, sir. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." Yeah. Adesanya, not necessarily one of those guys. Uh, he's just going to flip you the bird right there on pay per view. Yeah. Right there on the curtain jerker mm-hmm. for the pay-per-view. Going to let you know how he feels about it. Fiery, I guess you would say. Not going to mince words. He's a lot of fun to have around, I think. Like he's got that good charisma. Uh, I mean, a guy who goes out there with the nickname The Last Stylebender and has such a fun fighting style and outsized personality, everything about him, it all fits into like a, a cohesive kind of narrative that you can understand. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think it's all going to depend on on his evolving grappling skills moving forward. But 
four wins this calendar year, man, I think it's real easy to to jump ahead three years and think that Israel Adesanya is, is right there in the in the middleweight division. As long as uh maybe a little bit of a size doesn't become an issue. Because you saw how much bigger Derek Brunson was than than him in this fight. He obviously handled that uh with ease, seemingly. But uh if you if you want to start digging deep for for drawbacks to Israel Adesanya, maybe stature is one of them. Yeah, well I think it's not gonna be three years before we find something out one way or another. It seems like the UFC is hot on him and he could be end up in a title fight, you know, first half of oh, 2019. Yeah, absolutely. He, that could be his next fight. I'm just saying if you jump ahead three years from now, maybe he's, he's one of the guys. He's like a, a capital G guy. Capital G guy. Anyway, next question this week comes to us from Patrick Milder who writes, Venata and Frivola had themselves a crackerjack of a fight, but since it ended in a draw and are part are part of the lightweight division. Will it even be noticed by MMA fans not watching on the early prelims? Uh, ben Lando Venata is an interesting guy to me at this point because you will remember when he crashed the party back in July of 2016 against Tony Ferguson, a fight that he ended up, ended up losing. But we all thought, oh man, Lando Venata is a guy that we need to take take note of. He seems like he's going to be a fun guy moving forward. Yeah, almost put Tony Ferguson away. He's mustered all of one UFC win at this point, albeit a wheel kick KO of John McDessie at UFC 206. But his career has just been weird, man. He's had two draws at this point, three losses and one win. What do we make of uh, of Lando Venata at this point, who I think made some headlines this week for decamping from uh, from Jackson Winklejohn, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Well, he's had a rough go of things just in terms of what they gave him to work with because he comes in at 8-0 as a late replacement. They throw him into the fire against T-Ferg right away. He does better than expected, still loses. Uh, then they they knock him back down in competition a little bit against John McDessie. He makes the most of that, has a real kind of showcase knockout in the, in the first round there. But then since then, I mean, if you look at who he's fought, David Tamer, really good and not super heralded. Uh, not a whole lot of people know who he is. That's a... a fight that is tougher than it is rewarding in terms of rankings. Uh, Bobby Green, who's been around and been a good fighter for a long time. Drakkar Close is also a good, young, up-and-coming guy. And then Matt Frivola here, who really kind of brought it. It's not like there's a whole lot of easy nights of work that you're given for Lando Venata, especially when you consider his overall experience. That's true, but I guess maybe that's what uh, that's the ticket you buy for yourself when you show up and, uh, and darn near make a night of it against Tony Ferguson as a late replacement. Next question this week comes to us from Evan Whitmore, who writes, now this is interesting. This is not necessarily where I thought we were going this week. Okay. But he writes, if Daniel Cormier and John Jones both retired tomorrow, who would have the better legacy? That's interesting. Well, okay, if they retired tomorrow, just because of their ages and the where place that their careers are right now, the narrative would be very, very different. With Daniel Cormier, if he retired tomorrow, especially after coming off a win, if he was just like, you know what? I sneezed and hurt my lower back. Uh, and that told me maybe it needs to be done. And I'm going to go ahead and call it quits a little bit earlier than expected. People would be like, well, disappointing. Wanted to see that Brock Lesnar fight. Can't really blame you, though. You're damn near 40 years old. You had a good run. You, you really put together a, a late career sprint there. Uh, and you were... Double champ. I think the only guy maybe uh, that I saw to have title defenses in two different divisions. I think that's right, yeah. Stuff like that where you're like, okay, you got a a firm claim on MMA history. 
thank you and good luck. We we'll hope we still have you around on the broadcast table. Right. But then with John Jones, if he retired tomorrow, it would be the 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 storyline would be biggest waste of talent in MMA history. Yeah, I mean, uh, so much of how we regard John Jones has always been about potential, right? Yes. And he, you know, we have at times conceded that the, if all the guy has to do is kind of stick around and maintain the level that he's been at since he arrived in the UFC, and he would probably go down as the greatest of all time. Clearly, that's been interrupted now several times, owing entirely been to, interrupted as a u- interesting use of the passive voice o- owing almost entirely to you know, his own personality quirks and his own inability to keep himself eligible for competition. As Daniel Cormier might say, <laughs> he uh, has interrupted it. He has interrupted it. Uh, he's his resume still stands up with almost anyone. Yeah. Even if he walked away tomorrow, as this question asks us to do. However, despite those two victories, I'm thinking that we would probably look at the two division championship for Daniel Cormier and maybe give Cormier the edge. If this is a straight head to head, who's got the better legacy? No, I think people would still, well, maybe the better overall legacy, but I I do think people would still hold up those wins and be like, well, in a head to head thing, John Jones was the better fighter. But if he retired now, the focus would just be on, all the stuff that he left on the table. Sure. The stuff that he could have done that he didn't do, um, basically through his own inability to to keep it all together. Right, yeah, which I think is fair. I'm also saying, though, that like I don't know that the wins and losses always tell the entire story. I think we see that with uh, Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell, because True. obviously Chuck Liddell went 2-1 and one against Couture in their uh, trilogy of fights, but I think if if you asked most people which guy had the better legacy, most people would probably say Randy just because of the, you know, being a a two division champion, not at the same time, obviously like Daniel Cormier was, but like uh, what he meant to the sport and the kind of ambassador for MMA that he was. Are you saying not showing up in clubs with his shirt off? Maybe not like passing out (laughs) in the middle of an interview on Texas this morning or whatever it was. But like, I don't know if we will, like, I don't know. Will we have the, will we give Daniel Cormier similar, Credence, I guess, even though he lost, he went 0-2 against John Jones, assuming that those guys don't fight again. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I do think that, especially now, even when people are ready to point out some kind of gaps in his athletic accomplishments, either whether it's the losses of John Jones or the fact that the guys you beat for your title defenses are Vulcan Ozdemir and Derek Lewis, you know, not exactly the most challenging dudes in either of those two divisions. Still, though, people like Daniel Cormier as a person, and with good reason. He gives you a lot of reasons to like him. It's easy to root for that guy, and so maybe that softens the, you know, the detracting a little bit. That's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter that comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. This week, you can get the opportunity to scoop yourself up The Undertaker, Rise of the Dead Man, graphic novel by yours truly. Uh, the newsletter itself is short. It's, it's funny. It's informative. If you don't like it, well, it's also really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
Well, Ben, in the realm of what's really going on, the news breaks yesterday evening, after I was in bed, for sure, that Ryzen Fight Federation over there in Japan mm-hmm. is going to go ahead and book some kind of conflict between Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Tenshin Nasukawa New Year's Eve this year, a little a little less than two months from now. And, and now everyone is in a tizzy, and rightfully so. We're all scratching our heads over this. I am full of questions regarding yeah. this situation. We have very little uh, answers at this point. Very little is known about what is actually going on here between uh, Nasukawa and Mayweather. My my first question, I guess, though, is what are you even doing, Floyd Mayweather? Yeah, that is the question. Now, I think we have to start by applying what we know about Floyd Mayweather to the the things about this situation we don't understand. Okay, yet. we're going to we're going to sleuth our way through this. Yes. I like this approach. Once we have en- eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, there you go. must be the truth. Yes. So let's do that. Um what do you understand to be Floyd Mayweather's primary motivation in life? Money? That's right. I mean, that's the man's nickname. Yes. His and- organization Ben is known as the Money Team. Exactly. In case you in case you didn't didn't know. In the case you needed it to be real obvious. The belt he won by beating Conor McGregor was known as the money belt. So we're really kind of throwing subtlety out the window when it comes to what Floyd Mayweather is all about. He about that money. Yes. So that tells you that has to be a big part of him agreeing to whatever it is he has probably not yet totally agreed to. Because that is the other thing I think we can figure out here is by what everybody was saying at this announcement when you're telling us like you're going to do the guys are going to have as you said some kind of conflict a, on clash. Eve, a clash a clash of some sort uh and then here's a quote from sakaki bara as far as the rule set and the weight and the rules we still have some work cut out for us so that tells me that you probably don't have any signed bout agreements because how can you have any bout agreements like any official signed document that says what's going to happen if you admit to us right now, less than two months out, you don't really know what's going to happen. So for all we know, the biggest thing we get out of this might be an announcement. And he might have been paid just to go do the announcement. Yeah. Well, we got a video trailer okay. already announcing this thing. Uh, Floyd Mayweather is is on his Instagram wearing the green Ryzen gloves. Or somebody is on his Instagram because you cannot see his face in this picture uh, wearing a money team hat and a Floyd Mayweather tracksuit and green Ryzen gloves. Uh, again, does Ryzen, would it, would it surprise you if Ryzen even has the cash to pay Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather money That's to show up for an athletic contest? Cause yeah. the one thing, as you say, the one thing we know about this guy, he needs to get paid and he needs to get paid handsomely. Right now here's another, uh, telling quote. I thought, uh, this one from, Floyd Mayweather. Ryzen has done a remarkable job with the fighters. I look forward to giving you guys entertainment come December 31st. Entertainment. Entertainment. Uh, but my relationship with Ryzen, it doesn't stop just here. I look forward to taking this worldwide. Now, if you're looking for some explanation to be like, how does Ryzen have Floyd Mayweather money to pay out? How do they? How is the check even going to clear? This quote 
can at least give you some ammunition to think, are they paying him in a piece of the company? Or at least in part in a piece of the company? Like he's saying, my relationship with him doesn't stop here. I'm going to take this worldwide. Does, does Floyd Mayweather become a part owner of Ryzen by doing this fight? And if so, how much money is that actually worth? Right. And I think maybe another thing that we can say definitively is that Nobuhiku Sakakabara, uh, obviously the former head of the Pride organization, is no stranger to doing big things in a mixed martial arts context, no stranger to doing weird things in a mixed martial arts contest. Clearly, you know they like to get weird on New Year's Eve. Yeah, New Year's Eve is a, a big holiday in Japan, although a different holiday than than the way we celebrate it here in America. It's more of a, a family time for people to get together and watch television. And so that's kind of how New Year's Eve be, traditionally became a big night in, in mixed martial arts. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not outrageous at all to think that if Floyd Mayweather does go through with some form of entertainment, some form of clash on uh, you know, TV in Japan on New Year's Eve that you know, 40% of the nation might watch that. Right, yeah, That's absolutely. That's not at all unreasonable. So like if Floyd Mayweather is trying to expand the international brand here, maybe that this is, isn't an unthinkable move, but also like if that's your goal, like why not just fight Pacquiao overseas somewhere? Like why sign up for this bizarre pairing uh, with Nasukawa who is, is very highly regarded in kickboxing and mixed martial arts and only 20 years old. And one of these people, like if you're one of the people on my Twitter timeline who seems to be watching MMA fights seven days a week, 24 hours a day, uh, Tenshin Nasukawa is your guy. Yeah, you you're, love you're the shit out of, of this of guy. Him all the time. Yeah. Okay, I have an answer for that one though. Like, why not just like do some boxing match in Japan and try to get you know people's attention that way? It's because I think Floyd Mayweather has correctly identified us as a bunch of marks okay. in the combat sports well, world. He's he, got some pretty significant anecdotal evidence to suggest that we are in yes. fact what he thinks we are, and he can say. He can just kind of drop his name in with any combat sports figure outside of boxing, and now he has a bigger crossover audience, and he knows how easy it is to get our attention. We won't stop talking about the man, even when he has shown no interest in doing any sort of MMA. Still, every MMA fighter wants to call him out, wants to talk about Floyd Mayweather, and it's been going on for years. So he, I think, maybe has correctly identified we are the people that he can really easily control our attention spans just by like a hastily thrown together announcement like this. And he also, I think has correctly figured out that he can make people keep doing, keep, keep dancing in his dance because it's a big enough deal. He brings enough eyeballs. He's a big enough draw that he can just kind of call the shots and be like, all right, three round boxing exhibition. It's to nobody's strengths except for my own. And I, you know, don't really even have to work that hard, but everybody who just wants to have him involved because it increases the the eyeballs that they can get, is going to say, sure, whatever you want. I think that that's kind of his calculus here. Yeah. I'd see it all just seems so weird to me though. Like uh, almost no lead up, which is the opposite of what we did with Conor McGregor. Uh, Nasukawa, obviously not the kind of figure that McGregor is in mixed martial arts circles or in sports circles, man, I just, Something doesn't add up here, as far as I'm concerned. Like, the pieces do not fit together yet. What do you say the odds are that, that some form of legitimate bout takes place between Floyd Mayweather and Tension here? 
Well, on the positive end of the spectrum, I will say that we didn't expect the McGregor fight to happen. We thought that was smoke and mirrors for months and months. And then lo and behold, those two guys actually climbed in a boxing ring and did what they did for 10 rounds or whatever it was. I would not be surprised if Floyd Mayweather shows up and does something on New Year's Eve at Ryzen 14. Do you think it will be a conflict or do you think it will be entertainment? I mean, I got to think entertainment at this point, unless there is some kind of monumental uh, payment or arrangement going on behind the scenes that we just don't know about yet. And it seems, as you said, maybe they don't know. What are the odds somebody wears a mask? Or costume of decent, sorts? Decent odds <laughs> that someone is going to be wearing a mask. Better odds that there's going to be a giant cup of noodles with oh, legs yeah. there. That's, that's practically a given. Just... I still don't fully understand what's really going on. Here. I don't think they fully understand what's really going on. I think that's what, what they kind of admitted at the press conference. But you know what? They have our attention. There you so go. We'll see where this goes. Let's do. Are you fucking kidding me, Ben? And then uh, we will move on to round number two. Ben, I saw this over on the MMA junkie in the blue corner. Uh-huh. The, uh, the odds and ends area of MMA junkie about yes. Jordan Rinaldi pulled the, uh, the switcheroo on us this past weekend at UFC 230, holding up his crooked left ring finger and yeah. then trying to fake us out a little bit with playing a gag, saying that uh, his opponent bit him. Turns out that's not true, that he actually wrecked his dirt bike, which very MMA thing to do, when he was 15, 15 years ago, uh, injured the, the, the ring finger. However, the best part of this story, as I'm sure you know, Ben, Goes out on a date with a girl. He's embarrassed about his crooked finger. He catches her staring at it. He says, oh, are you looking at my finger? It's pretty gross. She whips out her finger. What? Also crooked. Left ring finger, also crooked. She slammed it in a sliding door when she was a kid. Jason Rinaldi and this woman are now married. I guess you have to be, right? You have to get married. Are you fucking kidding me? That's beautiful. Fucking kidding me? God damn it. Wow, it's been a while since we had a, are you fucking kidding me? That's beautiful. I know. Maybe first ever love related. Are you fucking kidding me? Chad, I'm happy for him. Crazy kids. <laughs> My, are you fucking kidding me? Have you been following the kind of very tightly packed career soap opera of Ciara Eubanks? You know, I have been. Yeah. So, after all the, the talk where first might fight Valentina Shevchenko for the uh, vacant title. Yeah. Not a popular move nope. by the UFC. Joe Rogan says he doesn't even know who she is. She takes exception to that. She gets really mad at everybody. Says, you know, stop messing around with this, treating it like it's a game. She gets shuffled from a vacant title fight to the undercard, uh, the prelims of UFC 230. And then she's going to go and miss weight for that one and then respond with the the shrugging shoulders emoji just to let everyone know how how broke up she is about that. And then has this fight with Roxanne Mataferi. She wins the decision. It's not exactly a, a barn burner of a fight. And as soon as she gets on the mic, they're booing her in New York City. How does she already have this kind of heat from the fans? I, I don't know if I've ever seen somebody who can... Uh, get this mixture of indifference and hate from MMA fans because they want to be like aggressively uh, indifferent about even knowing who she is. But then also when they are forced to know who she is, seem to have decided already that they don't like it. 
You fucking kidding me? This could be, a, me? could be a rough path for you, Banks, going forward here. But uh, she seems like she's intent on riding this sort of wave. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. So Daniel Cormier, he goes out there in the main event of UFC 230, unbeknownst to us, with an injured back that he injured sneezing earlier in the day. It really does make him more relatable. Super relatable. To gentlemen of a certain age. Yes. I have hurt my neck, like jolting awake too fast in the middle of the night, you know, where you're falling asleep and you're, you're kind of in that weird zone between sleep and awake and you, you jolt awake. I've injured my neck that way in fairly recent times. So I immediately relate to this kind of, also I have an injured back right now, just from, just from being alive, not even any specific cause for it. Uh, as I told you before the show started, I had the advantage of not being in the USADA testing pool when I injured my back and had to play in a hockey game. So I could just go into the, uh, into the medicine cabinet and go, let's just see. Let's start, let's start throwing stuff at this problem and see what works. Daniel Cormier doesn't get to do that. He has to pull it together. Kind of seemed like maybe it was touch and go for there for a little while, whether he's even going to stay in this fight. He does. And he goes out there and puts on a wrestling clinic against Derek Lewis anyway. Now, for one thing, you could see this as one more sign, you know, along with the injured hand and the short notice, that Daniel Cormier knew what to expect from this fight with Derek Lewis. That maybe if it was John Jones or Alexander Gustafson or somebody in the other corner, he doesn't go through with it amid all this stuff. He knew what kind of challenge he was facing against Derek Lewis. We knew. I think even Derek Lewis knew. And it went pretty much exactly the way you'd think. Yeah, I've already said that I think that both of the phone calls to the fighters to set this thing up probably ended with somebody saying, fuck it, let's do it. Uh, which is probably Daniel Cormier's driving psychology leading into this fight. It's nice to know that no matter what a finely tuned athlete you are, if you get start getting up there around 40 years old, you can still throw your back out with a sneeze. I guess, as you noted, the difference being you and me don't have to go fight Derek Lewis yeah. the day that... Uh, I got an assortment of pills I can tor- turn I, to. He, you gave he's us gotta, a... He's uh, got to get a massage and hope for the best. It was an interesting window into your personal health care situation. You don't, you don't have a, a collection of painkillers from, from various sources? I'm not saying one way or another what's, what's going on <laughs> okay. in this house. Say no more, Chad. As it turned out, the fight between Daniel Cormier and Derek Lewis in the main event of UFC 230 turned out... Just about exactly as we expected it to go. Uh, Daniel Cormier wins by second round rear naked choke. Uh, Derek Lewis made things interesting for a few seconds here and there. He did the thing indeed where he lays on the on the ground for a while and then just decides to stand up. It's going to get back up. Which frankly is pretty damn impressive when the guy that you're doing that against is uh, former Olympic wrestler Daniel Cormier. Yeah, and even Daniel Cormier couldn't quite believe it. He was like, I had inside wrist control. He just stood up. But then Daniel Cormier had no problem taking him down. And even when he's kind of describing the series of takedowns that he used, even Cormier was a little surprised he was able to pull off an ankle pick from the front headlock right there before he finished it. And he said he kind of saw it in Derek Lewis's face that he was like, "Ah, here I am again, stuck on my back again. Yeah, which that's probably the most impressive uh, exchange of the fight from Daniel Cormier's side of things was that ankle pick. Uh, Other than that, he really used the single leg here to his advantage. And indeed, uh, UFC broadcast team announced several times they were surprised how easy it was 
for him to get Derek Lewis down. Uh, and then, you know, softens him up for the bulk of two rounds. By the time he takes the back and locks up that rear naked choke, it did sort of seem like we thought it might that Derek Lewis was kind of like, okay, well, I gave it my best shot. Let's everybody go home and cash those checks. Did you see Derek, the look on Derek Lewis's face in between rounds? As he comes back to his corner and he's kind of sitting there and they're telling him, you know, all right, here's what we got to do differently. Here's how things have matched up with our expectations so far. And for one thing, he doesn't even look slightly annoyed after getting dominated pretty thoroughly there in the first round. No real reason to hope that second round is going to turn out any different from him. And the look on his face is just like, well... This is what we're doing. I guess we're going to keep doing it. Yep. This is what you get paid to do. Another day at the office. Ben, let's talk about what happens next here. Because for the first time, both John Jones and Daniel Cormier have said out loud with microphones in the vicinity that they probably aren't going to fight again. John Jones, I think, said it in the most John Jones way possible, where he was basically like, I'm done messing with Daniel Cormier. Let, let him have some peace. Let him move on with his life. Uh, Daniel Cormier is really focused on this Brock Lesnar fight uh, and and has said he wants that or that could be his retirement fight if it goes down in March of 2019. Uh, do you think that this is the end of the line for the Cormier-Jones uh, feud? That we're not going to see a trilogy? That that it will stand 2-0 for John Jones for all eternity? And that Daniel Cormier will simply fight Brock Lesnar and then walk away? Is this... Is the dream of a fight between Cormier and Jones at heavyweight gone? You know, I understand why they're both saying what they're saying at this point. It makes sense from their various vantage points. But if you look ahead, look six months into the future. John Jones, let's say he goes out there and the year beats Alex Gustafson. Say January, you know, early February, maybe Super Bowl weekend. Daniel Cormier goes out there, beats Brock Lesnar. Now the situation you're looking at is... UFC heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier, UFC light heavyweight champion John Jones. Cormier is eyeing the exit. Even if they're both still feeling for their own reasons, you know what? We're done with this. We got nothing left to say or do to each other. Don't you think that the the forces at work, both officially and otherwise in MMA, are going to start trying to force them together just because there's nothing else to do? Absolutely. Especially if... Uh if John Jones makes the move up to heavyweight uh, or frankly, you know, if he cleans out the the division at light heavyweight, which could happen maybe with a victory over. Uh, yeah. What else would there be for him to do? Yeah. Pretty much only Anthony Smith is out there as an interesting uh, contender at this point. And John Jones has said he doesn't think Anthony Smith is, is where he needs to be for that fight yet, but uh, would gladly take it. I think in, at least in his mind, as part of a Daniel Cormier, Derek Lewis style matchup, definitely John Jones thinks he's going to, he would walk through Anthony Smith. You're saying he might say fuck it when he gets the call yeah, to fight I mean, Anthony let's, Smith. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, it would be hard to believe that those guys wouldn't get together again. It might be the first time in combat sports history that there was an easy sellable fight to make where some kind of thing happened where it didn't, didn't go down. Like, it's really hard to believe that that money wouldn't have its say in some way to get these guys together again. Well, yeah, and especially because if you're the UFC and you're looking at, like, if Daniel Cormier is going to retire, fine, you know, you can understand. He's He said he wants to. He set this kind of expiration date for himself. But John Jones, are you going to be like, all right, let's see if we can squeeze out 400,000 pay-per-view buys from John Jones versus Anthony Smith. Right. Or 
we knock on the door of a million with John Jones DC three for the heavyweight title. Yeah. What if WWE gives Daniel Cormier a better offer though? Like, first of all, let's start here. If you were WWE, wouldn't it be fun to put the WWE universal title up for grabs in this MMA fight? Assuming that you could get that done somehow with the UFC and the UFC, frankly, in a position where it's never been more interested in that kind of like cartoonish, just for laughs sideshow. Well, or Daniel Cormier could just go to the online store, buy himself a WWE title, and then if he beats Brock Lesnar, start wearing it around, and who's going to tell him he's wrong? True. Chael Sonnen style, I yes. suppose. Uh, but like, why not? If you're, if you're the world, if you're world wrestling entertainment, first of all, you've already proclaimed your champ, the champion of the universe, which <laughs> the known universe, if I were a wrestler on another planet, I would be mad about that right now. Uh, why not, man? Why not just throw caution to the wind? And if DC beats Brock Lesnar, that's your guy. Well, and it seems like maybe both sides might be interested in DC being the WWE's guy. I was also interested to hear him kind of talk about how. Uh, he has a good relationship with the UFC, but maybe not super interested in working with the UFC once his fighting days are over. He did go, uh, didn't he go have a tryout with WWE, like on the mic to be an announcer? Either he did or he's going to. He was, yeah. yeah, maybe he had to put that off because of this Derek Lewis fight. But uh, yeah, it seems like there was, I don't think they were going too far out on a limb to say there's mutual interest there between World Wrestling Entertainment and Daniel Cormier. So uh, a lot of stuff could still happen. But I agree with you. It would be a surprise if uh, if he and Jones don't do the dance at least one more time, regardless of what those guys are saying at the moment. Uh, that's going to do it for round number two. Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to gonna play a little Master Tweet Theater. It's been a while since we had him on, so we're excited to do that. We understand uh, he's got a, uh, a good theme shall we say, smoked up for us this week. We'll see. That's going to start right now. that time again after a prolonged hiatus we welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist sir nigel longstock sir nigel how are you good day to you sir i am dewy-eyed and anticipatory anticipatory huh anticipatorialistic okay all right it's been a while since we've seen you how you been i've been wonderful sir i cleared up certain legal issues relating to my legal adoption by another couple and started new legal issues related to my adoption of another couple all right well that sounds about like what i assumed you were up to i assume that you've brought us a theme here this week i have sir the theme is legalize it okay oh boy see sometimes you get the idea with the theme that he's just making it way too easy on himself and still he fucks it up. This one seems pretty specific. It is marijuana. Well, there you go. Even more specific. Doesn't leave a lot of room no. for uh, no, straying away from the theme. I'm interested to see how he will do it. Over Never under over under one tweet. <laughs> That's insulting, sir. Two and a half tweets. Come on now. All right, whenever you're ready, you can go ahead and hit us with the first one. <clears throat> yes, let us begin. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes, the cigarette that is definitely not for kids. Are you an adult whom no one can tell what to do? Do you need to unwind after working in an office, driving a car, or doing sex on your children's mother? 
Why not treat yourself to a cowboy astronaut cigarette? If a kid smoked one, he'd probably cry. But you're mature enough to handle rich flavors like toasted oak, leather jacket, and grape. So smoke up, grown-up, and leave the little babies behind. Oh, man, I have missed cowboy astronauts. They're delicious, sir. Don't try them, though, unless you're of legal age. Grape. Grape sounds so adult. Me and my friends were just down at the tax office talking about how much we enjoyed income taxes and grape. Yeah, all right. <clears throat> yes, let us begin. Do you remember the theme? Is it legalize it? It is, sir. Yeah. That, right. See, that tells me you haven't tried it. <laughs> Some folks say that it is a crime. You know what? Let's just move on here. Okay, tweet the first. Yo, so Tesla guy lost millions for smoking weed. Doubt it hurt him too bad, but damn, always gets worse before it gets better. He probably going to make a car that runs on weed now and make billions. All right, I love a lot of things about this tweet. First of all, that it begins with yo. Yo. Also, it does not always get worse before it gets better. Sometimes it gets better before it gets better. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets really bad. It's always darkest before the light. That's what I've heard. Or just before the period of eternal darkness sets in. You got any thoughts on this tweeter? Uh, yeah, I think I got it. Really? Yeah. I think this is Platinum Mike Perry. That seems so coherent for him, though. Really? A car that runs on weed? For him, that seems incredibly coherent. Okay. I'm going to say... Uh, Angie Overkill Hill. Okay, that's another good guess. Both fine guesses, both liable to string a few sentences together, but only one correct. It is Platinum Mike Perry. Moosh. Son of a bitch. Legalize it. Those Duolingo courses in English have really started to pay off. It, I just, there's not even anything remotely racist here. I don't, it's kind of off brand. I don't know. I feel like a car that runs on weed is pretty off on brand for Mike okay. Perry. And Fair vaguely racist, I'm sure. Well, maybe this car that runs on weed will also be a boat like he dreams of. <laughs> also, Cheech and Chong already thought of this idea. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Tweet the second. Pot is now legal in Canada. At Jeff Nowitzki UFC. Should I finally try it? Oh, I gotcha. It's <laughs> a ironical okay but see now this is a uh, it tells you somebody who's really kind of insidery yep they're willing to tag jeff novitsky mm -hmm. in the tweet and not just be like bald usada guy which is how most fighters seem to think of him right um elias theodoro that's a good guess that's actually who i was gonna say uh since you went elias i'm gonna go oam here oh okay that's, that's a, a damn that's a good guess both fine guesses, both liable to play a little inside baseball, but in fact, it is Olivier Aubin. Yes. You son of a bitch. That's two for two. Two for two. Legalize it. See, though, this is another example of why OAM is one of my guys, especially on social media. He's got, he's got the goods. Yeah. Quite literally, perhaps. Olivier he's, Aubin. He's holding. After the greatest actor of all time, Olivier Stevens, who played the Bigfoot <laughs> in Harry and the Hendersons. Just wow. a fact for you guys. A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Hollywood facts yeah. on the show these days. Mm -hmm. Trivium. Well, I've been to Hollywood, sir. <laughs> Tweet the third. Today marks another important step in my process to acquire the first therapeutic use exemption, parentheses, TUE, of cannabis in professional sports. 
With the help and guidance of the Atchniclinics team, I have been empowered to resubmit my TUE application. Hashtag fight the stigma. Hashtag medical cannabis. What was the name of the clinic? At SHN Clinics team, or as I call it, Schnicklinics team. Yeah, okay. That, that sounds about right. Now, this is Elias Theodoro. Feel pretty confident on this one. You look confident. I guess I'm going to go with you. It is, it is Elias Theodoro writing what is essentially a college application essay in tweet form. See, that was, uh, that was a position move on my part, just to preserve my lead. Now I see that I committed a tactical error. Did you see what I did there? I sewed it up. You can't even, you can't even win now. It's like you're blocking me in Connect Four. It's I guess you could you could tie if I go zero for two and you get the the last two right. It's interesting how only now do you seem to get really concerned about what the score is. The score is normally when you're getting blanked, you don't care. Also, so, he is kind of sticking to this theme. I'm amazed. All right, but we got two tweets left. All right, anything could happen. Mm, I'm doing a great job. Tweet the fourth. Let's go! The fights we could be that week with the ability to use thumbs up, thumbs up, keep up the good work. That, I mean, I see how that could be legalize it related, but come on. It is in response to Elias Theodorou's tweet. Okay. So that's a hint. Can I hear it one more time? Oh, yes. Let's go! The fights we could be that week with the ability to use. Thumbs up, thumbs up. Keep up the good work. The fights we could be that week with the ability to use. Well, Jed, your streak is on the line. Uh, (laughs) Someone who... English is a second language, I think. I'm going to go with... Henzo Gracie. Hmm, not a bad guess. Uh, kind of feels like a Jessica I to me. See, I thought about that. It's almost like not quite out there enough. I'm going to say Jessica I. Okay. It, is, ah! it is Jessica I, the victim of what I assume is a cut and paste error. <laughs> oh, oh, this pleases me immensely. All right, so this is a big one. Imagine You can, you if can tie had, me here That's true. tweet number five. That's true. Ben may not have to spend the night in the box after losing. <laughs> tweet the fifth. <clears throat> Seriously, at Lyft, I need my phone and ID back. <laughs> All right. How, this is legalize it? It is. Are you just guessing that it is? But how? The listeners at home cannot see me stroking my beard. Nick Diaz? That's a good guess. <laughs> That's a really good guess. Nate Diaz. Both fine guesses, both apt to try marijuana, but only one correct. It is Nick Diaz. Leaving his phone and ID in a lift and then addressing their corporate PR representatives. Uh, So what you're saying is you think any Nick Diaz tweet that references maybe that he forgot something or that is, you know, living his life in a manner that's just a little bit haphazard is automatically related to... Marijuana legalization? Let me answer that question with another question. (laughs) Why would Nick Diaz forget something? It happens to the best of us. Mm. He's been hitting the head a bunch. Okay, CTE maybe, but I'm going to say it's a medical condition known as bong hits. (laughs) Well, I can't really disagree with you. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that was a really riveting 
episode of Master Tweet Theater for us. Uh, what else you got going on? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I just finished an exciting project about a middle-aged ne'er-do-well who shrinks himself to microscopic size in order to prank late-night television hosts. I see. And what's it called? It's called Ant-Man in the Moon. And what role do you play? I play the Blob Zamuda. Of course. Well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. Well, Ben, UFC Fight Night 139 comes our way this weekend from the Pepsi Center down there in Denver, Colorado. Not too far from uh, co-main event podcast home base. It's a good venue. Good fight venue, the Pepsi Center. And by not very far, I mean... 10 hours. 10-hour drive. Yeah, driving 80 miles an hour. Your main event here is the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung against El Pantera, Yair Rodriguez. Of course, this was supposed to be uh, Chan Sung Jung against Frankie Edgar, but the old man... Pulled out in late October with an injury. And so we get into kind of an interesting situation here where Yair Rodriguez, who we have not seen in the cage since his loss to Frankie Edgar, uh, when was that? Like May 2017, something like that? It feels like five years ago. And then he's going to be going up against Chan Sung Jung, who only has one fight under his belt since 2013, owing to uh, an injury and I believe his uh, mandatory military service. They That's had right. to go take care of. He returned uh, with a win over Dennis Bermudez in February of 2017. But a lot of inact- inactivity for these two guys headed into this fight. But nonetheless, uh, what appears on paper to be an exciting matchup between two young featherweights, uh, both of whom could sorely use a victory over a known name. You know, you know we're going to just everybody ease into, back into MMA competition here. You know, stretch stretch out the joints a little bit, you know, work up a sweat, and then go ahead and punch each other in the face in the main event on TV. Yeah, why not? But you know what the, the people's main event of this thing is. Well, there are some interesting names up and down this card, aren't there? There are. A return home, as I assume what you're talking about, for the cowboy, Donald Cerrone, Colorado native. That's right. Going up against platinum Mike Perry. That's right, who has vowed to cross state lines in order to get after Donald Cerrone, which means go from New Mexico to... It sounds a lot more foreboding when you put it that way, rather than just say, we will both get on a plane and meet at this agreed-upon destination. Which was probably what was going to happen all along, yes. right? Um, this one, what is that a fight for, exactly? Who, who, where does the winner go? Are we just having fun? We just yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like we've, I mean, we've talked at length about the singular position that Donald Cerrone holds in this sport, right? Uh, Which I believe I have compared to the Undertaker numerous times before, where it's like doesn't even really matter if he's the champion. Doesn't matter if he's in the title picture. His wins and losses are almost irrelevant. Uh, For a good while there, we could expect Donald Cerrone to show up in the UFC cage every couple of months or more frequently. Uh, and and put it all on the line. And now you got a guy in Mike Perry who is on his way to cultivating something somewhat similar, although uh, clearly has a long way to go before we can count him in the same league as a guy like Donald Cerrone. But, you know, we know what we're going to get from Mike Perry. He's going to show up. He's going to punch hard. And that's about it. So, yeah, man, if you're looking for a just-for-fun matchup between two guys uh, who have both done some problematic stuff out of the cage, uh, here you go. 
Cerrone versus Perry. Let's start your engines. Well, and for a Fox Sports 1 card the weekend after a pay-per-view, it seems like that's about as much excitement as you dare hope for. Well, now, yeah. Now that we are, we've all got senioritis as far as the, uh, the, Fox deal the goes. UFC Fox deal goes. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now that this main card, this six-fight main card, which, you know, go ahead and peer into late Saturday night, early Sunday morning to tell you where that's going to take you. I can tell you where it's going to take you. You're going to be sitting up at one o'clock in the morning thinking, thank God Mike Trezano versus Luis Pena was on the main card See, of this thing. That's exactly what I was going to say, is that you're kicking off the main card with Mike Trezano versus Luis Pena, a, a Wikipedia-less fight. Thank God five hours ago I watched Macy Barber versus Hannah Cyphers mm-hmm. on my TV. Yep, That was a thing that happened in the women's strawweight division. Exactly. Did you notice who else is on this card, Ben? Uh, Jermaine, Jermaine Durandamy Durand- Durand- makes yeah. her return after, uh, after a, uh, a contentious... Relationship with the UFC. A hiatus. Where she had the uh, women's featherweight title one day and then did not. Shortly thereafter. Now is back at bantamweight. She's back at bantamweight taking on Raquel Pennington in your co-co-main event. Okay. The on-deck circle for the co-main event. Calm down. (laughs) You don't get to do that. Uh, And then you got Joseph Benavidez versus Ray Borg, and that rounds out your televised main card. Now... Listeners of the podcast should know this card is going down, I believe, on the same Saturday that you and your wife have planned an all-day barbecuing, hanging out, drinking in the front yard kind of event at your house. I mean, you can celebrate it any way you want, man. It's it's a Basically, come-as-you-are style event. What are the odds Chad Dundas makes it all the way up to see Chan Sung Jung versus Yair Rodriguez? live as it happens on in the the wee hours as it were well ben let me let me put it this way i've got this thing hooked up to my television called a dvr okay tell me more even if i wasn't gonna eat a shitload of prime rib sometime prime rib we're doing prime rib at this thing hell yeah okay it's a serious business i just i just went from a maybe to a definitely attending oh you're gonna be there uh even if i didn't have that event planned. It would probably be a long shot that I was going to sit up all night and watch UFC fight night 139, especially given that the parameters of my job are that uh, I don't have to write anything about it. I'm going to catch up with it. Okay. I'll be up to speed by the time we sit down uh, to record this thing a week from today. Well, that's very reassuring. And so uh, we'll have uh, we'll have all the ins and outs covered there. How nice to know. You got anything else you want to talk about UFC fight night 139 related? Live from the Pepsi Center. I know you're looking forward to Ashley Yoda and Amanda Cooper. That's the that's the prelim main event. Yep. Uh, yeah, Ch- Chaz Skelly on this card. Benil Dariush on this card. Just tough, tough, tough people on this card, man. Like this is a, you know, if if you live in the Denver area, this would probably be fun to go see. It would be. Yeah, I'm, I'm not not joking about that being a good venue to go see fights. One of the only venues where you know we used to go in the UFC would be like. All right, we'll put the media on like the list so you shouldn't have to pay for parking. And every other venue you'd go to, you know, if you'd pull up in a rental car and like whoever's running like the parking thing would be like, fuck you, no, there's no list. Pay your money and expense it later. And you'd be like, fine. Pepsi Center's one of the only places where a guy like took out the walkie talkie, made a few calls on it, and then was like, all right, this checks out. You're good to go. And it's like, you, sir, 
You're a professional. Attention to detail yeah. down there in Denver. All right, Ben, let's do just saying stuff, and then we will we will get out of here for this week. What is your just saying stuff? Well, have you been following what uh, Habib Nurmagomedov's manager, Ali Abdelaziz, has been saying about the price tag they expect for Nurmagomedov's next fight? Yeah, some eye-popping numbers. They're talking $50 million. Yeah, Mayweather yeah. style. Uh-huh. Uh, which... Dana White threw a little cold water on that when asked about it after UFC 230, and I believe he responded sarcastically, sure. Uh, and then saying, they know what's realistic for them, but it's fun to say. Uh, and I just want to read this quote from Ali Abdelaziz about comparing basically Nurmagomedov, trying to make the case that Nurmagomedov is now a bigger international superstar than Conor McGregor as a result of that last fight. You have a guy speaking with Putin, Erdogan, and the other guy is selling liquor in the corner store. It's not even in the same <laughs> the same planet. You've got a guy right now meeting with President Putin. President Putin actually having a sit-down with him, Erdogan. And you have the other guy selling liquor, driving a truck. Good for him. Whatever. It's not our business. He does what he does. I'm just saying, to a lot of the rest of the world, this does not sound as cool as you think it does. Yeah. And as immediately justifying of a huge price tag by throwing out Putin and Erdogan. Just yeah. saying. More power to him, though, for uh, for trying to say Conor McGregor having his own liquor brand is a guy driving a, tr- driving driving, a truck. Driving a truck, says? selling liquor at the corner store. I'm going to guess Conor McGregor has never driven a truck. There's that picture of him sitting in a truck. All right. Well, it's, I'm just saying. Ben, the UFC released its schedule for the first quarter of 2019 this this week. Yep. Including uh, its debut on ESPN. A couple things were immediately apparent. First of all, we're, we're not going to come up with any other system for trying to delineate these events. We're just going to stick with a super confusing numbering system where there are ESPN plus one, yep. ESPN plus two, mm-hmm. ESPN plus three are all on this schedule as is UFC on ESPN one. So don't get it twisted, my friend. These are different. Those are different things. I'm definitely going to get it twisted. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Also, we got 11 events scheduled between January and March, which if you are doing the math, puts the UFC on pace for 44 events during uh, 2019. So this week, I'm just saying that's too many, man. That's too many. Still, still too many. It's too many last year, too many the year before that. It's going to be too many next year. That's too many, man. I'm just saying. Just saying. How excited are you, though, for UFC on ESPN Plus 3? See, then you're going to really confuse the shit out of people because they're going to be looking for a channel called ESPN Plus 3. Makes it sound like you're going to a party. Like, (laughs) oh, I'm on the list. I'm plus three for this, so you guys can come. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Check us out next week. We'll be talking about all the stuff that happens down there at the Pepsi Center. Uh, We may start looking ahead to UFC 231 in early December. You you don't know. You never know what's going to happen. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Do you remember when, like, a, a decent, busy year for the UFC would be, you know, slightly over 11 events? Do I remember? Because that's when the UFC was arguably the best before they started uh, just seeing what the market would bear. 11 events in the first three months. I think there's only like two weekends in the first three months of 2019. There's not a UFC. We're going to be watching a lot of ESPN+. Plus. Glad I signed up for the free preview and then couldn't figure out how to cancel it. So I still have that. I'm still paying $5 a month. 
you been watching anything? Uh, I watched a little bit of the MLS playoff between uh, Portland Timbers and Seattle Sounders this past week. Well, that is not a very Chad Dundas-like thing for you to do. I guess the only surprises. thing saving it is that it had a Pacific Northwest connection. Full of surprises. 